0: amen. Created in the image of God you are. What a, uh, that's a blessing that nobody can take away from you. Uh, something that should be at the forefront of our minds, uh, a reminder that we need uh, quite often that we are made in the image of God. What a beautiful image that is. So today, uh, this evening is the big game Um, This morning, uh, Anita and I were talking, and she, uh, that's trouble. Yeah, she's laughing. Um, It's always trouble when Anita and I get together. Uh, But she was saying that she was rooting for the Bengals tonight. (laughs) Nobody bring the bad news to her. But the big, yeah. <laughs> but the big, she was joking, by the way. Uh, but the big game today, uh, and it's kind of cool uh, for me to see uh, people for a time being to set aside their differences, whether that be political differences, religious differences, um, color of your skin, your income, whatever it may be. Uh, the, for the large uh, chunk of our society, we put aside our differences for a night, and a very large chunk of us uh, watches the same game at the same time. And I'm excited uh, to do that together as a church, as we come together and, and watch uh, the big game. But for all the excitement uh, that the people have about the Super Bowl and all the camaraderie that we seem to have as a country around uh, really uh, a child's game of football, uh, wouldn't it be great if there were uh, some sort of exci- the same sort of excitement and camaraderie around? The gospel message. That would be wonderful. I say uh, some sort of uh, the same sort of excitement and camaraderie, but wouldn't it be great if it far exceeded the excitement and the camaraderie that that we see our country represent around uh, the game of football? Uh, and today, the church can be an example of this. We, we, we can be an example of what it looks like to have camaraderie and an excitement around the gospel message, news that is far, far, far superior to any uh, game of football could bring uh, a human being. And today, we, we, we can be excited about the message that we talk about because we are introducing Jesus into our discussion today as we continue our series on the book of Romans, the foundation of our faith, and so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter three. We've been going uh, verse by verse approach throughout the book of Romans, and we have to remember that Paul here he is writing this to the church at Rome, which consisted of both uh, Jewish and Gentile believers. And Paul, he wanted to go visit Rome at this point in time when he wrote this letter. He had, he had never visited Rome. He wanted to visit Rome and to, to preach the gospel message to uh, this church here at Rome, the, the, this cluster of home churches that were present in the city of Rome. Well, instead of going at this point in time of his ministry, instead he wrote a letter. And in this letter to the church at Rome, he outlines this gospel message that he wanted to preach to them. And thus far our conversation has heavily revolved around the fall of humanity we have really hardly mentioned the name of Jesus up until this point. As in order to talk about the, the necessity of Jesus, we need to examine clearly our fall as human beings. As you and I, we are imperfect. We, we are created in the image of God. And, and part of that image of God, we, we've been given a free will to create and, and do good things. Unfortunately for us, We abuse that free will. We abuse that that power to create, and we have sin in our lives. And and, and we learn that each and every one of us, we have sin in our life. That's kind of been the main focal point of Paul in this letter up until this point, outside of like the first 17 verses of chapter one, where he's introducing the letter. This is Paul the church at Rome. I want to come visit you guys, but instead I'm going to present this gospel message to you. After that, we've pretty much been talking about how both the Jews and the Gentiles are under sin. And because we are under sin, we need a savior. And so we ended last week in Romans chapter three, verse 20, after all this talk about sin, 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 we're imperfect, both Jews and Gentiles, but everything takes a 180 starting in verse 21. Whereas Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So after spending the majority of the first three chapters talking about the fall of humanity, Paul does a 180 and we, we still have this sin in our life, but Paul says, but now, but now, even with all of this sin in our life, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So this would be a big wake up to the Jews, uh, a a big uh, portion of the church that Paul was dealing with as they were huge into the law. The Jews thought that they could attain a right relationship with God by keeping all of the laws that God gave them. The issue is uh, that nobody could perfectly fulfill the law. There, there's not a single human being. There, there was one uh, human uh, who was the son of the Virgin Mary, the son of God. He was able to fulfill uh, the law. He, he was sinless. But outside of Jesus, there's there's nobody else who is sinless. And and so the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. So so outside of the law, we can see the righteousness of God. Outside of of the system that God established through Moses um, in the first five books of the Bible. So although God shows his righteousness apart from the law, both the law, and the prophets, they do bear witness to his righteousness." And I love that that, it's, but that Paul mentions both the law and the prophets, that they both bear witness to it, because the Jewish law required that there be uh, two witnesses for any account to stand. There, there couldn't be uh, one person come and, and bring forth a case. They, they needed two witnesses for, if, they just, if the requirement was one witness, then anybody could come and make any claim, and that would be a, a really messy society if they just needed one witness. But here, Jewish law required that there be at least two witnesses to bring forth. Forth a case. And here, the righteousness of God has two witnesses it has the law and the prophets. And when we read through the law and we read through the prophets, we can read about his righteousness. This is why we cannot replace the Old Testament. A lot of people, they may kind of gloss over the Old Testament and focus the majority of their time in the New Testament. Let me tell you, that is a bad practice. That is a bad practice to gloss over all of these writings throughout the Old Testament and to put, solely put our focus on the New Testament. For the Old Testament, that lays the foundation for the New Testament. What is a house without a foundation? It, it, it's worthless. It will fall and crumble. And so, the the, the New Testament without the Old Testament. It would fall and crumble if you don't have these writings, this plan that God established from the beginning. As the Old Testament, it bears witness to what happens in the New Testament. It brings forth validity to what happens in the New Testament as many events recorded in the New Testament was actually foretold long ago in the Old Testament. And so when we are reading our Bibles on a day-to-day uh, basis, this is a good reminder not to gloss over the Old Testament. There is a ton, a ton of gold in the Old Testament, more, infinitely more value than gold. The, you, you cannot gloss over the Old Testament, the, the writings of the law and the prophets, because they bear witness to the righteousness of God. And Paul continues in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So this righteousness of God is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so it's only through Jesus Christ that we can see the righteousness of God. We can be a firsthand witness to the righteousness of God. We can enter into the righteousness of God if we place our faith in Christ Jesus. You can kind of think uh, about the righteousness of God here in one room, and then there's a big, thick wall, and on the other side of that big, thick wall is us. And between us and the righteousness of God, there is a big wall, but fortunately for us, there is a door in that wall, and that door is Christ Jesus. Only through Christ Jesus can we be a first-hand witness, can we enter into the righteousness of God. And it's for all who believe. All we need is faith in Christ Jesus. And then we can enter into the righteousness of God. We can see his righteous, righteousness firsthand. And this isn't just for the Jews. It's not just for the Gentiles. It is for everyone. And it's for everyone who believes. No matter what your past looks like. This, this is part of why it is, it, it is good news. No matter what you have done in your past. If you have a living and active faith in Christ Jesus, you can enter into the righteousness of God. We are talking about the most vile murderers. We're talking about the most vile leaders in the history of mankind. I firmly believe if they repent of their sins and if they express a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, they can enter into the righteousness of God. That is a message that some people need to hear. Because some people think, some people out in this world think that they have messed up so bad that there is nobody who'd want to give them love and give them attention. But they need to know, through faith in Christ Jesus, they can enter into a loving relationship with the Heavenly Father, the Father who created the heavens and the earth. That's the message, that is the good news that people need to hear. And again, the law and the prophets, they bore witness to this. They bore witness to the Messiah. In our Sunday school class, we just did a full study uh, on some of the the prophecies in the Old Testament about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the Old Testament lays a foundation for the New Testament, lays a foundation for the righteousness of God. And so all we have to do is put our faith in Christ Jesus. And then uh, Paul continues, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A lot of people there, they they can quote uh, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Far fewer people can quote uh, verse 24. And and I thank God that that verse 23 isn't the end of the story. If that was the end of the story, this would not be a good news. This, This would not be the gospel message. But it's not even the end of the sentence. For Paul writes, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So again, verse 23, kind of a demonstration of what we have been talking about the first three chapters—that everybody, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This really shouldn't come as a surprise uh, to any of us. But, but thankfully, the presentation of the good news doesn't stop in, in verse 23 here. And, and Paul says, "And are justified by His grace as a gift." through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That, that is a loaded sentence there. So, so we are justified by his, by God's grace as a gift. We are justified. Justification is the process of being made right. And so even though we have sin in our lives, we have been made righteous in the eyes of God. How awesome is that? We've been, righteous, we've been made righteous in the eyes of God. God, the, the one with all the power and authority in heaven on earth, views yourself as righteous. And so I think we together as a church need, need to stop viewing ourselves as a poor little sinner where all we do is sin, 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 and sin. No, we have been made righteous. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous in the eyes of God, and those are the only eyes that matter, the eyes of God. You've been justified by God's grace. Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. And so you and I, we, we have been made righteous. We have, we have been deemed right in the eyes of God. But surely that is not something that we deserve. We all deserve death. We don't deserve anything more. We don't deserve anything less. Uh, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But through the grace of God, And this is a gift. This isn't something that that we have put on our own being, that this is a load that we had to carry on our back. No, this is is simply a gift, a gift of God's grace to us that we can be be viewed righteous in his eyes. And so we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Redemption is, is the process of gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. You may, you may use the example of a gift card. You may go to a store and you have, when it comes time to pay for your payment, you have this gift card to this particular store. And all you have to do to, to gain possession of the things you bought is to hand in your gift card that has been purchased and, and you redeem it. You're, you're buying the things through this gift card. And in this case, through th- this example, of redemption. We have redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so in this case, we are gaining possession of being justified in the eyes of God. And the payment is Christ Jesus. A precious, precious payment. For in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God put forward Jesus as a propitiation. We're we're using all uh, the church words uh, this morning. Uh, Propitiation is the act of gaining or regaining favor with someone kids do this all the time with their parents. They, they may have done something wrong and they know they've done it. They know they shouldn't have done it. They know mom and dad are going to be so angry with me. So what do they do? They go wash the dishes or they go vacuum or they go dust or they go say, mom, you are so good to me. I'm so lucky to have you as my mom. They they are offering propitiation. They, they are trying to appease their parents because they know they have done something wrong. They're trying to gain their favor. And then the parents. Will then ask, well, what did you do? Because they know the parents are smarter. They know that they are just trying to appease their parents, and whatever they are doing, this. But we receive this propitiation, the appeasement of God's wrath by faith, and it's by the blood of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus, we have appeased God, and we avoid His wrath. And this propitiation by Christ's blood, we receive that by faith. Faith comes into this again. Throughout uh, the the next handful uh, of messages, faith is really going to play a very, very key part. It's really a key element to a lot of Paul's writing that, that we receive this propitiation. We receive favor with God by the precious blood of Jesus, and we receive that by our faith. Faith is what it boils down to. It's such a a key element to all of this. And this all shows God's righteousness. Remember, God's righteousness, the the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they bore witness to God's righteousness. And this righteousness, all of this, the justification, the redemption, the propitiation, this all shows the righteousness of God. For God exhibits extreme self-control and patience by passing over former sins in our life. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, going to the park a while back, and on the table, someone wrote a really obscene and appropriate uh, phrase, and I remember how mad that made me, that someone would defile such a beautiful, harmless thing, as I love going to the park, spending quiet, alone time with God, and someone would try and ruin that for others by writing this on the table, and I just remember how really such a very small act uh, made me quite angry that that some would do such a thing. I was thinking if children were to come and see this uh, graphic uh, phrase here, that would be terrible. And all the while, God saw this person write this graphic uh, message on the table, and God is witness to all of the sins of the world. If I were in that position, zap! They, they would be zapped right then, and there I would lose my patience. You know, sometimes uh, just having two kids, sometimes my patience can, can burst, and I just, ah! And if I were God, I'd go, ah, and zap, zap, zap! But here, God, <laughs> he is patient. He is patient to overlook our former sins. <laughs> that is a beautiful, beautiful Demonstration of his righteousness, where even though we deserve zap, 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 he is giving us justification. He's giving us grace as a gift, he's giving us redemption. He has offered us propitiation through the blood of Jesus. And all we have to do is we have to receive all these good things that we don't deserve by faith. How good is our God? My goodness, my goodness. And so God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, in his Messiah, in his son. So Paul continues verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so we, we, again, we are justified by faith, not by works of the law. Nothing you do on your own can justify you in the eyes of God. Rather, we are justified, we are made right before God when we put our faith in God's Messiah. And because all it takes is faith in the Messiah, we have nothing to boast about. We, we shouldn't be boasting about our good works that we do on Sunday and on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. We have nothing to boast about. The only thing that we had to boast about is in our Lord. And both God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that you and I have to boast about. That's really the only thing that separates us from those outside of the church is that we have a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. And it's through that relationship, it's through that sanctification that we have something to boast about. And so if you are an extremely confident person, you like to boast, boast about nothing other than the fact that, that you have a heavenly father, Yahweh, who loves you dearly, and the heavenly father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And so you have something to boast about in the works of God. It's not by our own doing that we are saved, but but it's by this law of faith. It's this idea that we receive this justification, this grace, this propitiation by faith. So it's not by our own doing that we are saved. And in verse 29, Paul writes, or is God the God of Jews only, or is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the the contrary, we uphold the law. So God here, he is the God of both the Gentiles and the Jews. He is the God of all. There, there is one God. And please, 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 let's not overcomplicate this idea that God is one. It's so this one God is God over both the Jews and the Gentiles. He's not just the God. He is not just the figure of authority for those who are circumcised in the foreflesh of their skin. No, he, he is the God of all. And he justifies both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, which would have been a a big sucker punch to the Jews. He he, he justifies the uncircumcised through faith as well, where now this actual uh, physical sign of the circumcision uh, of the foreskin does not mean much anymore. And so with with all of this said, then Paul raises the question, then do we just throw out the law? Is the law, does it serve no purpose in our life anymore? Paul says, no, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. For the same exact God who established the Old Testament law, he is the one who, who, who is alive and well today. And God does not change. The only thing that changes between us and God is us. That's, that's the only thing that changes. And some of the law was specifically for the group of Jews to keep them safe, to keep them healthy, and to keep them sanctified, to keep them set apart uh, for, from these other nations around them. And some of, the law, some of those laws fulfilled that purpose, to keep them safe, healthy, and sanctified from those around us. Much of the law consists of the basic Rules of being a good human being who was created in the image of God. And those same laws are backed up and supported throughout the New Testament as well. In fact, a lot of these laws laid out in the Old Testament were kind of called to a higher standard where, where, where Christ says, one, uh, it, it was said that, that uh, it's a sin to commit adultery, but now if you just look at a woman, if you just look at a man with lust, then you have committed adultery in your heart. And so this same law, we're being held to to these moral standards, these same moral standards that the people of the Old Testament, the Jews were held to as well. And so we don't just throw away the law to the side by, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law in our life. It's worth repeating, we, we, talked, uh, I, I, we, we mentioned this in, in weeks past, that we can't just throw out works to the side in, in this discussion of salvation either. For we show our faith by our actions and by our works. You cannot, you cannot have a living and active faith in God without works. Our faith motivates us to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so if you look at your life, if you look at your schedule, how you conduct yourselves on a day-to-day basis, and your actions don't look any different than those around you who don't have a faith in God, that I'm sorry to be the the bearer of bad news, you have a dead faith, a faith that is not alive, a faith that you cannot use to accept the free gift of salvation, the, the grace of God. And so your life has to look different. Your Monday has to look different than the person at your work or school who doesn't have a faith in Christ Jesus. If it doesn't, your faith is dead. And that is not a place that we want to be in. So we do not throw away the law and, and, and we consider the, the importance that, that the works plays in, in this process of salvation. We're not saved by our own doing. This is not something that we can boast about, but we prove our faith. We, we show that we have faith in God through our works. And so as we wrap up today, it's paramount that we understand that we have been justified And we have been redeemed by the grace of God. And this all was accomplished through the blood of Jesus. First Sunday of each month, we we take time to remember the sacrifice that took place. It's through the blood of Jesus that, that we establish a new covenant. And so through this blood of Jesus, we have been made right in the eyes of God. We have been purchased with a precious price, the price of the blood of Jesus. And so today and tomorrow and the rest of the days of our life, we need to live like we have been justified. We need to live like we have been redeemed by the grace of God. We are doing an extreme disservice to the blood of Jesus when we don't live like we have been justified, like, like we have been made right in the eyes of God. We aren't poor little sinners where all we do is sin, 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 and sin. That, that's not who we are. We, we have been made right. And so we have got to live like we have been made right. That is who we are called to be as Christians, And so as we end today, uh, let me uh, speak some value into you this morning. That you have been justified. You have been redeemed. You are righteous in the eyes of God. If you have a living and active faith in God and his son Jesus. And that is value that no thing where no person can take away from you. That you've been made right in the eyes of God. So together, as a church, let us live like ones who have been made right in the eyes of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this gospel message, the message of the King In the kingdom. Father, we just thank you for the words of Paul here. We thank you that even in the midst of our sin, you offer us justification and redemption and propitiation by the blood of your precious, precious son, Jesus. Father, it's my prayer this morning that we together as a church, we at North Hills, we truly live like we have been made right in your eyes. So Father, I just thank you so, so much for this message. I pray that you give us the boldness and the courage to share this good news with those around us. So Father, we thank you, we love you, we love your precious Son. It's in his precious, holy powerful name that we pray in God's church said, amen.